Good morning. So we're in Matthew chapter 25. If you'd like to turn there, feel free to do so now. Matthew 25, we're going to be in verses 14 through 30. Uh, About a month ago, maybe five weeks ago, we considered the previous section, right, in Matthew chapter 25, verses 1 through 13. Today, the title is Preparing for Work and Heaven. (laughs) Interesting title. Last time, uh, in the previous section, verses 1 through 13, does anybody remember what the title was for that? Preparing for what? Weddings and Heaven. So go back and listen to that message if you weren't here. Was anybody here for that? And you came again. Wow, yeah, yeah. Go back and have a listen. So today we're talking about preparing for work and heaven. Uh, the, the previous section in Matthew there, that verses 1 through 13, that was really a, a, a period of time that was a short period of time that people were called to prepare for Jesus' return. This one is a very long period of time to prepare for his return. It has to do with business. It has to do with what you do throughout the week or even some of you on the weekends, evenings, whatever it might be uh, in the marketplace. So this is about a long period of time. You know, in my early 20-year business career, I worked at FedEx for a long time, and, and I looked for believers who could really do two things in my young career, and that was, number one, was to show me how to live out biblical principles at work in the marketplace. What does it look like to be a Christian in the, in, in the world as we work? Very important to me, uh, very important to most of us who are believers. We spend a lot of time, a lot of hours in that area of our lives. Well, there's a second thing that I was looking for, another person to help me hone my skill. I wanted to be the best I could possibly be, not for myself, but for the Lord's glory, and I prayed for that. Looking back on all those years, I think to myself with this text as I studied through it, wow, I I wished I would have understood these things back then. I wish there was somebody who could come alongside me and say, here's what the Bible says about work. And although this isn't entirely about work, there are work principles, work implications in this text that we're all going to grow from even today. My, my prayer is that, um, is that younger believers would get this. Even us older believers would get it and apply it in the marketplace starting tomorrow. Maybe you're going to work today. You see, today we're looking at another parable. Remember what a parable is, right? A parable, by definition, casts... Uh, 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 cast a plausible story alongside an eternal reality, an eternal truth. So today we're looking at the parable of the talents. It's a business parable. It's a, it's a story that Jesus uses about work. He's done with weddings. Now he wants to talk about work. The workers in Jesus' made-up story are responsible to increase the value of their boss's possessions until he returns. That's the parable. They have to increase the value of what he owns while he's away. So Jesus tells this plausible business story to help us to understand his coming, uh, second coming in the future. Since Jesus is coming, you must have a sense of urgency for faithfulness even in the marketplace because you don't know whether or not he's going to return while you're at work or elsewhere. So anticipation for his arrival In anticipation of Jesus' arrival, does this parable provide marketplace believers with a resolve for faithfulness to their employer? Yes, it does. Of course it does. But it's far more than loyalty to one's employer. It's devotion to Christ, even, get this, while on the corporate clock. Who works for a living? Who used to work for a living? You're retired. Great. Uh, who doesn't work outside the home? There's some moms in here probably raising kids, maybe some dads too. That's okay. This message is for you, and you'll see where all that comes in. Uh, this is about openly worshiping Christ, the Lord and Savior in the marketplace. Isn't that fascinating? Matthew 25 isn't a, uh, a work hard, make a profit, and earn your right to go to heaven kind of a handbook. That's not what this is about. Salvation is a gift from God, right? We don't earn it. It's it's not something that we do and we receive back from God as a reward. 
Salvation's a gift. We all know that we're incapable of earning our entrance into heaven. That's not what this parable about. This parable, the parable of the talents, is, has been breeding grounds for propagators of the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel, or should I say pseudo, false gospel. Leroy Thompson, in a Kenneth Copeland publication, wrote about his thoughts on this parable, and he he peddles that kind of false gospel, and listen to how he abuses the parable. Here's what Leroy says. His comments are, are like this. He says, God cares whether or not you have money. All through the Bible, he talks about prosperity. He wants it to flow to you. Why, he asks, Because when money flows, prosperity flows. God wants you prosperous in this pseudo-gospel world, dear Leroy, we would think. The parable of the talents isn't so much about money or wealth, but preparedness for the king because he's going to show up any minute. And it might be, as I said, during the hours of our labor The parable is about our biblical actions while we await Jesus' second coming. It's a metaphor. It's It's a metaphor that drives, no, it compels, or should I say, it provokes authentic believers to harmonize their behaviors and their actions with their belief while we await Jesus' imminent return. He may come back before a wedding, and he may come back as you're sitting down at the corporate negotiating table or at the cash register. What will, or should I say, what you believe about Jesus' second coming is evident in the way that you behave now. This, uh, This parable compares two kinds of people, those working in a manner worthy of their calling, and it's a word picture for churchy religiously unbelievers who have a disregard, you could say a a disrespect or even a malice for God's word or towards Jesus' second coming. Context tells us Jesus is coming, so be prepared. If you were to go through chapters 24 and 25, you would count uh, numerous times where it refers to Jesus' return, his coming. So even while on the payroll, the redeemed are ready for the king's arrival because they've turned from sin and they've embraced Christ as their Lord and Savior, and all that plays out in the way they perform at their work. The parable of the talents is about your preparedness for Jesus showing up, even in the workplace. For those of you who don't work outside the house, I, I got a spoiler alert for you here. You see, you're not, you're not off the hook. You don't get to just stop listening. Stay-at-home moms. Now, maybe we don't have a whole lot of them here, but maybe you're a stay-at-home grandma. You're preparing your children, perhaps your grandchildren, to serve Christ in the marketplace by coaching them, training them through biblical principles. I would say there's no better educational curricula than passages like Matthew chapter 25, verses 14 through 30. One doctor in the room asked me, well, what happens if you're retired? Well, you're either mentoring a young person or looking for one to disciple in your work, using biblical principles, maybe the parable of the talents as a way to guide one younger than you through his or her career. Look for others who were like me. I was looking for somebody who could disciple me Help me to understand biblical principles in the marketplace, but more particularly with, 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 with my focus in, in the business world. So look for somebody like that. Come alongside them and help them. For clarity's sake, I put an outline together. It's in your notes. Just a simple outline. You're going to see three marketplace illustrations about how to prepare for Jesus' second coming. First, you must manage his possessions wisely. Second, you must be ready for your performance review. And third, uh, you'll receive judgment or reward. Well, how about if we start with a text? I read through it. Uh, Matthew chapter 25, verses 14 through 30. I'll read, you follow along. Uh, For it is just like a man about to go on a journey. He's talking about heaven. Who called his own slaves and entrusted his possessions to them. To one he gave five talents, to another he gave two, and to another one, each according to his own ability, and he went on a journey. 
Immediately, the one who had received the five talents went and traded them and gained five more talents. But the one who received the one talent went away and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those slaves came and settled accounts with them. The one who had received the five talents came up and brought five more talents, saying, Master, you entrusted me with five talents. See, I have gained five more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into your, the joy of your master. Also, the one who had received two talents came up and said, Master, you entrusted me to, with two talents. See, I have gained two more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. And the one also who had received the one talent came up and said, Master, I knew you to be hard, a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. I was afraid and went away and hid your talent in the ground. See, you have what's yours. But his master answered and said to him, You wicked, lazy slave. You knew that I reap where I did not sow and gather where I scattered no seed. You ought to have put my money in the bank. And on my arrival, I would, I would have received my money back with interest. Therefore, take away the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten talents. For to everyone who has, more shall be given, and he shall have an abundance. But from the one who does not have, even what he does have shall be taken away. Throw out the worthless slave into outer darkness, and in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Well, under our first point in your notes there, you must manage your possessions wisely. That's the first illustration we're looking at. To grasp this parable, we must understand that it's a part of the Olivet Discourse, not too many hours before Jesus' arrest. And you could think of it as one of the Bible's longest answer to a few brief questions. Turn back to chapter 24 because we have to put this in context to really understand what it is that Jesus is answering here. So in chapter 24, verses 1 through 3, we read these just not too long ago when we looked at the previous parable. I'll read them again. Jesus came out from, from the temple and was going away when his disciples came up to point out the temple buildings to him. And he said to them, do you not see all these things? Do you not see all these buildings here? This amazing architecture, this structure? Truly I say to you, not one stone here will be left upon another which will not be torn down. As he was sitting on the Mount of Olives, this is a little while later, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us, when will these things happen and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? So the three questions they ask here are pretty simple. It's, when is the temple going to be torn down? That happened to, well, that happened in AD 70. What will be the sign of your coming? That is, your appearance. And third, what will be the sign of the end of the age? Those are the questions they asked. And so Jesus answers their questions in chapters 24 and 25. It's, it's good to know that chapter 24 is largely fact-based. It's theological truths about Jesus' second coming, about his coming reign. And chapter 25 is primarily practical application. Chapter 24, uh, so chapter 24 is really about biblical thinking. And chapter 25 is about biblical doing. Now that we know the truth in chapter 24, how shall we behave? And so he gives them some parables to think about. Here's the point. While Jesus is away, or should I say while we await Jesus' return, how shall we think, chapter 24, and how shall we behave even while we're at work? We mustn't think of the Olivet Discourse as a, you know, you've seen this, sort of like a prognostic, prognosticator's uh, calendar for trying to predict when Jesus is going to come back. We've seen that in our lives if you've been around the church long enough. 
try to pinpoint when Jesus is going to come again. And as always, we understand, even in the context here, it's said several times to the effect that no one knows the day or the hour. But what we do know is how we should behave during those days and hours between the time this was spoken and the time that we are now in the second coming. This section of the Olivet Discourse illustrates that while Jesus is away, what our behavior should look like during the hours of our labor and in the public square. In Matthew chapter 25, 14, Jesus answers the questions about his coming, about the kingdom of heaven. And here's what he says. Take a look at it. He says, for it is like, hmm, you have to scratch your chin. Jesus, what's the it? You'll notice that the it is in italics if you're carrying a New American Standard, maybe some other English text. But what's the it? You see, Jesus uses a parable, a story, to describe what his kingly reign is going to be like, what it will be like when he comes. But this is a backdrop. Let us consider Matthew 25, 14. The for, the word for there, drives our attention back to Matthew 25, 1. For explains to what the kingdom of heaven is comparable. The it is talking about the kingdom of heaven. It's talking about his coming. So for explains what the kingdom of heaven is comparable to. In verses 1 through 13, the kingdom is likened to five foolish virgins and five wise virgins. The foolish five, as we saw a few weeks ago, were, the word moron was used. They, they were foolish. They were morons. They didn't pack oil with their lamps. They weren't ready for Jesus' arrival, but the five wise were. Then in Matthew chapter 25, 14, Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is just like what? Do you see it there? What's it just like? A man. It's, a, it's like a man who about to go on a journey. He entrusted his, his slaves with all his possessions, These aren't just menial possessions, as we're going to see in the text here in a moment. So we ask the question, you want to know what Jesus' reign is going to be like when he comes to rule? Well, it's going to be like a business transaction, Jesus says. It's going to be comparable to a man who, who prior to going on a long trip, he gives, no, he entrusts his possessions to who? His slaves. Think about it. Shrewd business people don't want lazy money, right? CFOs? Any finance folks in here? Raise your hand. Uh, Not too high. Okay. You you don't want lazy money. You want your money doing something. I you know, as a as an airline kind of a guy, I think of a seven sixty seven. It's a hundred million dollar airplane. That airplane doesn't make any money when it's sitting parked on the runway. It's gotta be moving. And so this man, he entrusts his wealth to these people. This man's no different. While he's away, he wants his assets working. He wants his wealth making more wealth. And this is a parable. But so what does he do? Verse 14, he gives it. He he hands it over to these guys. He entrusts his wealth, his working capital, to three of his slaves. These are his belongings. He didn't say you could have it and keep it for yourself. It's his belongings, and they have a job that doesn't belong to the slaves. He entrusts his assets to their decision-making authority. Think power of attorney. Power of attorney. These slaves have complete control over their boss's wealth, and it's not their wealth, it's his wealth. Verse 15. Notice how Jesus describes the man's possessions. Do you see it there? Verse 15, he calls them what? Talents. Hmm. What's a talent? We might want to answer in a way that makes most sense to us, but what's a talent back in 60, 50, 40 A.D., somewhere around there? 30 A.D., when Jesus spoke these messages? What's a talent? Well, Debbie and I are huge University of Kentucky Wildcat basketball fans. (laughs) I'd love to shoot three-pointers like their MVP, Tyler Hero. But I don't think that even if I was to go to Tyler and say, hey, look, can I 
Can I have your spot on the court this game? And you, you give me your talent, and I'll take your spot, and I'll see what I can do. I don't think he would relinquish that to me. He can't give me his talent. See, th- this word talent is not what you think. It's something far different. In your notes, biblically, the word talent is a measurement of weight. It has nothing to do with sinking three-pointers or anything else for that matter. In most English translations in verse 18, verse 18 describes the talents as money. Even in the Greek, the word literally means silver. We're talking about he's giving over silver to these guys. How much, you say? Well, five and two and one, but what's it worth, really? And and it's hard to determine that, but all the research I've done, I've come up with something that seems seems most appropriate, suggested in the Roman world that five, five talents, that's the silver that we're talking about, was equal to about 100 years of one person's wages. That's a lot of money. It's a lot of money. Five years of one person's wages. The talent's value, though extremely high, I got news for you, it's not the point of the text. Here's the point. When the rich man's away, how will these men prepare for his return and their looming performance review? Yes, they'll have a performance review. We read right through it. How are you preparing for Jesus' return and your performance review with him? Could be with the parable pictures here, right? Check out verse 15. Jesus says, one man was entrusted with five talents, another with two, and the other received one. Somebody else asked me this morning, hey, what's the, um, what's the decision-making criteria here? Why do they get different numbers of talents? Well, it's really right there in verse 15. It's, it's each according to their own ability or their own capability. The guy who received five was already, uh, he had already proven himself to be reliable, and so the master gives him more. Same with the guy with two, and same with the guy with one. Remember, the guy carrying one talent is still carrying somewhere around the neighborhood of 25, 30 years of, of a laborer's income. That's a significant amount, but it was according to his own capability. The master recognizes their skill sets and expects each one to increase the working capital while they're away. Huh. This is management 101. This is simple stuff. Their capability matches their responsibility. This works out in our home with our children, doesn't it? We don't tell our three-year-old to drive up to the grocery store and get milk. They, they might enjoy that, but we don't do that. In verses 16 and 17, the men with five and two talents, I love this word, they immediately, you could say instantly, put their skills to work. They traded their talents, their possessions, and the silver, the master's silver, more accurately. I love the way the text reads here. It's such a business book. More accurately, they put the talents to work. They worked the master's money. They made the money work. In verse 16, the word traded also has a uh, well, it's translated as the word labor in other places. It's translated as the work, as the word work. And get this, it's also translated as the word do business. They put their master's money to work. Literally, they did business with the man's money. Is this the Bible? (laughs) Are we supposed to talk about this in church? Business kind of stuff, making money, getting wealthy? Jesus uses simple things like weddings and work to illustrate eternal purposes. Jesus' second coming. Jesus sees this as a positive thing. Verse 19, they knew their master was coming back to give them a performance review, to settle accounts, the text says in verse 19. They faithfully invested and reinvested his wealth. They kept at it such that upon the master's return, what did they do? They doubled it. They doubled it. They went from 100 years of income to 200 years. Wow. That's a return. 
Verse 18. You'll notice in verse 18, it starts out with a simple word, and I've said here many times before, sometimes some of the smallest words in the Bible uh, are, are the turning points to help us to understand what's really going on. So it starts out with a, with a but, a conjunction here. That little word contrasts the words, those who did business and multiplied with Mr. Vacation. He buried it and went away. Notice what the man did with the master's money in verse 18. Like his master, he too went away. He went on a long vacation. He dug a hole and he buried what? The talent. 25, 30 years worth of income. The master's income. The master's money. It's his master's money. Jesus' last command in Matthew 28, the Great Commission ought to be our greatest concern. He tells us that while he's gone, we are to make disciples of all the nations. That's a tall order, isn't it? While he's gone, he entrusts you with his resources designed to multiply the growth of his church. We heard this morning, we, we heard from our pastor this morning that, that this time of year we, we gave a notice, hey, we want to bring down the debt load of this building so that we can be more effective in ministry. Look at all the resources that people gave towards that. That's the kind of investing that we're talking about here. While he's gone, he entrusts you with his resources designed to multiply the growth of the church. The question is this, how are you working the resources to accomplish the Great Commission in the world today? Some churchgoers are on a perpetual vacation like this man with one talent. From Jesus' greatest concern, they, they put the Bible on the shelf or in a drawer and they go on their merry way. Christian, do you, do you really know that Jesus is coming back at any point in time? Has it occurred to you that one day you'll be called to account for what you've done with the resources he's given to you? And by the way, if you're a believer in Christ, they're not your resources. What I own is not mine. They are Christ, and I am simply a, a steward of what is his. Will you unearth the talents that he's given to you and, or, 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 or will you multiply them? Will you hold up your Bible and say, Lord, here it is. You have what's yours. The gold pages are still stuck together. It's brand new. It's worth as much as it was at the day I got it. Or, or are you using it for God's glory? Jesus is coming, so to advance his kingdom, you must immediately Put God's resources to work. Well, there's a second marketplace illustration about how to prepare for Jesus' second coming. And really, it's, it's this. You must be ready for your performance review. I've mentioned this already in the text. And we see that in verses 19 through 28. What comes to mind when you hear that you're up for your performance review? Oh, I, a little louder, please, because I know that feeling. <laughs> Ouch. Uh, in my career at FedEx, most of the time, all of us employees, we had to write our own performance review. And we had to put our expectations here, performance review here, and carefully go through it and match it up. And then present it to those who would be agreeing or disagreeing with our assessment. You never wanted to over-assess yourself, and you never wanted to under-assess yourself either. That's what's going on here at the text. In, in verse 19, verse 19 is the beginning of their self-prepared performance review. Notice they're the ones that come in and describe what's going on. Look at it again. Uh, chapter 25, verse 19. Now, after a long time, it's a picture in this parable that Jesus' delay is a long time. So after a long time, the master of those slaves came and settled accounts with them. Hmm. I want you to watch this. The, the master has been gone for a long time. He comes back and he settles accounts. Settling accounts in verse 19. Think about it. It's fascinating to uncover that this is a, a, a Greek business connotation. Settling accounts. This is a, this is a P&L. This is a profit and loss review. They've got to describe to the boss how things went. There's one shareholder just one, 
And so let's watch how the workers have increased his value, should we say, his possessions. Notice how their, this performance review plays out in verses 20 and 22. We've already read it, so I don't want to read it again. So the guys receiving five and two talents approached their boss with ten and four talents. They doubled the boss's money. Each says to the boss in verses 20 and 22, look, or, or see, and it has an exclamation point next to it. This is an imperative. It's, boss, you've got to see this. <laughs> now look at it, boss. Are you looking? Boss, I doubled your money. Wow. And they're excited. That's like, that's like buying a $300,000 house today and selling it in six months for 600000 Who doesn't get in line for that? These are good employees. You want to know what Jesus is coming is going to be just like? Parabolically speaking, Jesus' second coming will be like a man who gave his workers his possessions and expected them to increase their value while he was away on a long journey. So on the top of your notes on page 2, Jesus' second coming will be like a performance review. You will show him how you multiplied his possessions that he's entrusted to you. Here it is. During your performance review, this is how the the parable pictures reality. You're going to take Jesus' possessions, you see, the ones that he's entrusted to you, and you're going to approach him, just like the guys in the text, and then you're going to show him how you used your resources? No, his resources. His blessings to increase the quantity of disciples in the world today because after all, that's the Great Commission, right? Where the last thing Jesus told us to do was to make disciples. It gets better in verses 21 and 23. You see, verses 21 and 23 are identical with one exception, of course, the quantity of talents. Because of the workers' outstanding performance, the boss tells them what? In verse 21, I'll read it. His master said to them, Well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Check out the reward. Wow. I love this. It expresses, uh, not so much in the English text, but in the original text, repetition. Meaning, uh, he didn't just say this one time, but for emphasis, he repeatedly says to them, You were faithful in a few things. Faithful shows replication of efforts. They kept doing this over and over again. He recognizes how they continually worked his resources. In other words, they kept on working and reworking the master's money, one investment after another. I loved my career at FedEx. We had this, 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 this uh, system where we would honor employees for going above and beyond their call of duty. It was called a Bravo Zulu or a BZ. We call it a BZ. A BZ rewards those who exhibit exemplary performance, who do far above what their job description describes. Sometimes it comes with cash and sometimes it comes with greater responsibility in their work or maybe promotions. These men earned a BZ. They doubled their boss's money. Hmm verses 21 and 23, but I ask you, what does hyperbole look like if you were to describe hyperbole? I I think you could use chapter 25, verse 21. He says you were faithful in a little. (laughs) A hundred years of one man's salary, the, the man with five talents got, that's faithful in a little? That's hyperbole. They were faithful in a few things. This is an intended exaggeration. It's a lot of money. They increased the value to 200 years' worth for the guy with the five. By our standard of measurement, this is a huge windfall. You say, but what's their reward? What do they get for doing this? What's the BZ? Responsibility over many things, he says. And they will be welcomed into the presence of their master's delight. Wow. Jesus says, welcome home, thou good and faithful servant. You took my possessions 
and you applied them to the Great Commission. You worked with the cubbies. (laughs) You helped them to memorize little sayings like, Jesus loves me. You worked with the high school students. You worked with the college students. You, you, you worked with the senior saints and just helped them and encouraged them through difficult portions of life. Welcome into my presence, the joy of my presence. Let's watch how the third man's ill-fated performance review unfolds. It's kind of, kind of a catastrophe. Verses 24 and 5 you're going to see that his, his appraisal also points to a picture of what Jesus' second coming is going to be like. His reign, his, his rule will be just like this. The word and in verse 24 serves as a contrast to the previous men. We see the third man coming in the same way they came, but notice his situation is the polar opposite of theirs. Remember, like the two slaves, he too belongs to the master but his allegiance is artificial. He's a fake. He's a phony. He's a fraud. You could say he looks and sounds Christianly, right? He's one of the master's slaves, and after all, he entrusted them with a lot of money. But his faith is not authentic. In fact, the text reveals he has contempt for his boss. Here's the contrast in verse 24. Verse 24 says that while the cat's away, the mouse plays. He goes on vacation just like the boss. His his careful wordsmithing is not going to save him. There's, There's no wiggle room here. You see he's facing the judge. Notice how he presents his performance review. Verse 24 Sounds reasonable almost. I knew you to be a hard man. (laughs) His experience tells him that all along, throughout the entire time he's ever reported this guy, he's been harsh, he's been cruel. He's always been a difficult guy. From his vantage point, he's strict, harsh, cruel, even merciless is how you could translate the word. The Greek translation in the Hebrew Bible uses the same word to describe Nabal. Do you remember Nabal? Uh, Abigail's husband back in uh, 1 Samuel. I haven't you noticed there, 1 Samuel 25.3. Nabal refused to feed the king's men, King David's men. Uh, king David protected him and his wealth. So Samuel describes Nabal as a very harsh, actually what he says is he's harsh and evil in his dealings. It's the same word that this slave accuses the master of, and in reality, it's a parable, right? The man is accusing God of being harsh, of being wicked. In Isaiah 19.4, God uses the lazy slave's vocabulary way back in Isaiah 19.4, saying that he will deliver the Egyptians into the hands of a cruel, harsh, strict, merciless master and a mighty king will rule over them. The, uh, the parable of the talents is analogous to the unredeemed churchgoer who, upon Jesus' arrival, accuses Jesus of being harsh, of being cruel, of being, being strict and even merciless, just like Nabal. You say, well, what evidence does this man have to construe that this master is harsh? Verse 24, verse 24 suggests a consistent lifestyle. The the man tells the master that he is at that present time reaping where he didn't sow and that he's gathering where he didn't scatter. His lame explanation for his poor performance is that the boss created a hostile work environment. You're hard, and it's hard for me to work, and... I'm the first of the snowflake generation. I just couldn't get it. <laughs> Any bosses here this morning? Come on, raise your hand. Who managed? Who has managed anybody in the past? All right, so employee comes to you and says, hey, you're really a tough guy, and uh, it's your fault. I just couldn't perform. Can I have my paycheck? <sighs> so out of fear, he buries the money 
and he scampers off on a Caribbean vacation. From his vantage point, his lackluster performance was the boss's fault. If the boss wasn't so mean, he would have produced stellar results, of course. So he says in verse 25, here, you have what's yours. Tried to give it to him, but the master didn't even take it. Interesting. Notice his speaking portion of the performance review is over. Verse 29 reveals that the master didn't remove the talent from him yet. But in verses 26 and 27, the review continues with the master's feedback about his pathetic performance. Keep in mind that his master, or the the answer here is parabolic, it's metaphoric. Let's not lose track of where we are. It's for what it's going to be like when Jesus returns to reign over his kingdom. The, The master's comments accurately portray what Jesus will say to Christianly people who received his resources and did nothing with them. In verse 26, the master calls him a wicked and lazy slave. How's that on a performance review? Uh, Meaning he's worthless, he's evil, lazy. Think sluggard. Think, Think Proverbs 6. Proverbs 6 tells the sluggard to learn from the industrious ant Your actions, your good works, your church visits, giving records aren't the cause of your salvation. Of course not. We're saved by grace through faith. But they may reveal a redeemed soul. They they probably reveal a changed life, one who walks in a manner worthy of their calling, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. Your actions describe your theology. People know what you believe by how you behave, by what you do such as the guy with the five and the two talents. If the man really believed that his master was harsh, if he was really afraid, if he really understood the way he put to to put his master's money to work, verse 27 tells us he would have put it in the bank for a few percentage points. At least put it in the bank and and grow it. and, And grow it just based on percent of interest. But no, the lazy sluggard, he goes on vacation with indifference about the master's return. He's coming back. It's easy for us to cast stones at a man like this, but I've often found myself just like him. Mm. Asking myself, what am I doing with God's resources as his slave They're his resources, they're not mine, but how am I stewarding what he has given me for his purposes? How can I double what he's entrusted to my care? The man's behavior rendered his words meaningless. Look at verse 28. The master never touches the talent in verse 25. It's still in the slave's hands. He's he's still holding it. He hadn't taken it away from him yet. The word take in verse 28, I love it when I see the Texan plural. He says, y'all take, it's a, it's a command, you all take the talent out of his hand. All of them rushed at him, took it out of his hand. He commands these onlookers to do it. Y'all take it away from him and give it to the one who has ten talents. Give it to the one who I know will double it. <laughs> Look at the text, are there... Are there any second chances here? Not in this text. We have to be instructed by the parable. What, what is the eternal truth it's painting? Just like the wicked guy in the parable gets no second chance, neither will people go to heaven without turning from sin and trusting Christ. We would say that Jesus is coming, and since that's the case, to advance his kingdom, you must, you must immediately put God's resources, the ones he's entrusted you, to work and and work them repeatedly, just like the guys with the five and the two turned it into ten and four. And then be ready for your self-evaluation of of your results. Well, there's really a third marketplace principle that we see in this text also. Uh, Prepare for Jesus' second coming. You will receive reward or judgment. The text is clear. Verses 29 and 30. 
We know that the Olivet Discourse begins with, well, a question, three questions. Chapter 24, verse 3. What's the sign of Jesus' coming? Matthew chapter 25, 1 and verse 14, Jesus says the kingdom of heaven, that's Jesus' coming, rule and reign, will be just like a man leaving town who entrusts his belongings to his slaves. Their job description is clear. Use your abilities to increase the value of my possessions until I return. So, in verse 29, Jesus tells them that everyone trusting Christ gains more. Those who refuse Jesus' possessions as he intended will have them taken away. Jesus tells the disciples what heaven's going to be like. But in verse 30, verse 30, notice this, he answers a question they didn't even ask. Jesus opens the door wide enough for us to get a glimpse of what hell's going to be like too. Notice verse 30. I'll read it. Throw out the worthless slave into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. You say the parable's over. This is a statement of fact. Hell will be a place without Jesus' possessions. Those who bury God's word and walk away, ignore it with no care of his return, will lose everything that's good for eternity. Why? Because like the worthless slave in verse 30, they, the unsaved, churchy kind of religious people, will be thrown into outer darkness. Why outer darkness in verse 30? Well, because light is good, and, and, and Jesus is the creator of light. Long before he even created the sun, he created light in Genesis chapter 1. Heaven isn't wired with light switches. Look at verse 30 again. Why will there be weeping and gnashing, uh, gnashing of teeth in hell? Well, because of all the good things God created, all the possessions he once entrusted to your care won't be there. They'll be taken away. But you know what? It's, as we sit here today, it's, it's not too late, is it? Welcome to amazing grace. Those of us who are believers in Christ were once dead in our sins and transgressions, Ephesians 2 tells us, but we were made alive in Christ. Salvation is a gift. We're saved by grace through faith. Both of them are a gift. The most prized possession Jesus offers is the enormous price he already paid for your salvation. I want you to notice this more clearly in Romans chapter 6. Romans 6, 23. Would you turn there with me? Because he's talking about wages in Romans 6, and since we're on the topic of wages here, I thought we'd take a look at a different view of it. Romans 6, 23 Think of wages as payment or wages as your paycheck or wages as what you've earned for what you did or didn't do. Verse 23, Romans 6, For the wages of sin is death. You, you've earned it. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. You didn't earn it. <laughs> the men who enter the master's joy didn't get there because of simply performance. It's because they had a surrendered life to them, uh, to his boss. Uh, the word picture for Christ. Anticipation, and anticipation of his arrival, there's urgency for faithfulness. We've seen, we've seen three marketplace illustrations about how to prepare for Jesus' second coming. You must manage his possessions wisely uh, you, you have to ask yourself, how am I managing my master's possessions right now, really? How, how am I doing? As a slave of Christ, all you have is his. All I have is his. Secondly, you, you must be prepared for your performance review. You see that upon Jesus' return, you must be ready to show him how you stewarded his talents, his possessions, his resources, and three, you will receive your wages or judgment. You'll, you'll enter into the joy of God's presence or you'll be thrown into outer darkness. Wow. You know, the next time that we come back, I think it's a couple of weeks out, we'll be in Matthew chapter 25 again. 
And you know, we're dedicated uh, this season to parables. I spent time in Matthew chapter 25, and I, we've been dealing with parables. The other guys have been dealing with parables. But you have to ask yourself the question in Matthew chapter 25, verses 31 through the remainder of the chapter, is, is that a parable? We're in the parables. Is that, is that a parable? I would submit to you it's not a parable. But you know what? I'm going to preach on it anyway next time because it's in the context of parables. It's important for us to understand. But for now, I want to close with this and then just challenge you. Turn over to Revelation chapter 22. Pastor Tom read something this morning that I thought was just appropriate for ending today. Revelation chapter 22, the, the closing of the Bible. The book of Revelation was the last book written in the Bible, and these are the last words written, authored by the Holy Spirit. Revelation chapter 22, verses 20 and 21. He who testifies to these things says, yes, I'm coming quickly. This is about the second coming in Matthew chapter 25. He says, I'm coming quickly. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. And then he says, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you all. Amen. Maybe, maybe you haven't experienced this grace that he's talking about here, and maybe, maybe you're not prepared for a second coming. I would plead with you. It's a matter of recognizing that Christ is your master. He's your Savior. He's your Lord. He calls. No, he commands repentance, and he commands trust in him that he is your Lord and Savior. Today's the day. Come to Christ. Let's pray, and then you have some questions on your Notes there, you can talk about them amongst yourselves, and I'll just dismiss us with prayer. You can talk for as long as you want at your table. Great fellowship. Father, we're thankful. We're thankful that you have given us the truth of your word, that you, you didn't just send your son and he leaves the planet without giving us direction. No, he, he gave us clarity. You so loved the world that you gave your Son. You so loved the world that your Holy Spirit saw to it that we would receive the truth of revelation. Even in Matthew chapter 25, we know our expectations, your expectations of us for what you own and that you have given to us to steward. And so, Lord, I pray for each one here that you would, you would cause each one of us Lord, that you would cause me to grow in my heart and compassion for the world with the truth of the gospel that those around the other side of the world and in my own backyard, my next-door neighbors who don't even know you would come to proclaim Christ because they've heard the word and they've submitted to your authority. Lord, would you bless each one here as they pray through these things and even consider the questions before them for your glory. Amen.